What's going on, entrepreneurs, small business owners, and side hustlers everywhere? Today's special guest is going to be helping you get your money right as a small business owner. There's a reason why 65, 70% of small businesses do show break even and losses on their business financials because clearly something's getting lost in how we manage our income, our expenses as business owners. And so we've got an expert here today, Lauren Colson. She is actually a numbers geek uh, in terms of how you get your business right. Uh, and she, of course, has great people skills. She's the owner of Colson Strategies. She runs a small but mighty team. Uh, she finds passion in helping business owners make the best, most informed decisions through financial information, which if you're not making you know, decisions in your business based off of logical financial decisions, there's a lot that can go wrong. Lauren knows you're working hard to grow your business. And as a financial expert, she doesn't take that lightly, which is why she has agreed to come on the podcast today. Lauren, along with her team, take the scary out of your finances so you can focus on what matters most. And her job is to empower entrepreneurs, small business owners with the tools they need to make the best decisions in their business. She's more than a business owner. She is a mother of two, a coffee lover, and a book reading, beach loving, mindset enthusiast coming to us from the great free state of Florida. Lauren, welcome. <laughs> hey, thanks, Leo, for having me. There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S., and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. So Lauren, we always love to find out a little bit about what makes uh, an entrepreneur tick, the background. What were some of the key events throughout your life that led you towards entrepreneurship? Yeah, I growing up always wanted to have my own business. I found ways to monetize everything that I was doing, whether it was like um, having a concert for um, Christmas vacation when family came over and charging tickets. Um, to creating a newsletter that the family had to subscribe and pay for. Um, <laughs> I've always uh, loved building and creating things. And um, I just never knew what what it was going to be, what my own business was going to be. And so I kind of um, stumbled my way into it. My background is in accounting and finance. And I started at large corporate companies, publicly traded Um and liked the work, but just didn't feel a strong passion for it. And then I pivoted to a high-growing high growing startup and just fell in love with um, the culture, the people, the environment, and the energy and was like, okay, this is where I belong. Um, and there I was able to build out the financial infrastructure and really provide financial and operational data to the leaders of the company um, for them to make the best decisions. And that was something that wasn't being done before. And I just saw the power that that could bring the company and the leadership. Um, and then wanted to take kind of that framework and uh, work with multiple companies, which is how Colson Strategies was created. <laughs> oh, are you on mute? 
So when you were working, uh, Lauren, with some of those uh, big, the big publicly traded company or corporate America, I mean, these are Fortune 500, really big organizations there, were there some different things that you learned? You're like, wow, if this is some of these strategies we realized, you know, with smaller businesses, with startups, it would help them be more successful. Uh, you know, I'm curious if there were different tactics or things you learned and saw like, oh, this could be really useful, you know, in in, in different business circles. Or was it something where you're like, ah, what, you know, actually there's some of the things that the startups are actually doing better, the small business owners versus corporate, or was it kind of a little bit of both? What, what did you kind of see between those two? Because those are stark differences. Big time corporate America, publicly traded company, got to follow SEC guidelines. And then, eh, you know, startup, we're, we're resourceful, we're making everything uh, work and with less resources, maybe what, uh, what was that uh, differentiation like? Yeah, one of the big things I saw on the corporate side that was always frustrating was that the the business line of business owners were always so tied to having to hit their budget and that by no means is a bad thing, but it would get to a point where just cyclically every year, okay, we're not going to make budget because it was kind of unrealistic numbers given to them. So how are we going to get as close as possible? We're just going to cut a lot of heads. And so oh, wow. you do that, you hit your numbers, but then it makes it harder for you to then achieve your revenue growth and your product growth for the next year. So it was just this horrible cycle. Um, and I felt like since it was so kind of, there wasn't a lot of concern for like, okay, what is really best for the long-term growth in the business that was at least handed down um, to the people that I worked with that were you know, pretty big decision makers within the company. And so that, that always bothered me. And while I can, you know, completely value using a budget and all the clients that we work with, we put together a budget and a forecast, there's gotta be some, some flexibility and some reasonability, um, coming with that. And we really look at, okay, well, what are the drivers that are really driving revenue and like, what's realistic versus what is a stretch goal? And like getting getting prepared for for various scenarios. So that experience from corporate, I was like, let's <laughs> let's make sure that we're not just trying to hit a budget for the sake of it. Absolutely. So so it's kind of this cycle of oh, we've got to hit these budget numbers, and oh, we might have to fire a few people, and then it would just kind of cycle around. Well, we've got to hit our revenue numbers, we got to hit our growth, and it's like oh, we just fired everything that was going to kind of help us grow and. And so you're exactly right. And I think this is one of the biggest challenges that small entrepreneurs, startups, and, and business owners have is identifying, well, what are the things that are actually revenue drivers? And so as you were there, you know, at the big corporate America, and then kind of transitioned into that, that startup mode before, you know, going independent, what were some of the key identifiers of actually, this is what's really driving revenues, and this is where we should focus our budget and our investments? Yeah. So there's a lot of, especially when you happen to be in a season where you're flush with cash and things are going great, there's a lot of ideas. You're growing and you've got maybe other leaders in the organization or just you're really excited and you have all these plans and you're like, let's do this and let's spend money here. And you really don't take the time to kind of map out like, how are we how are we monetizing this new product that we're you know bringing to market? Or what is the long-term strategy here? It was just like, oh, everybody's moving to TikTok. Okay, let's do that. And let's run ads on TikTok. Well, well wait a minute. Is our audience even there? Oh, that's that a good question. 
you know what I mean? Does, maybe it is, but does that make sense? Um, and, and having that kind of strategic uh, outlook on any kind of big investments or, or um, strategy changes there. Yeah, no question. So really digging in and identifying uh, what's actually a good investment that's going to drive revenue, that's going to be profitable and understanding, well, hey, is our dream client there? Is our avatar actually there? And that's what I find is problematic with a lot of marketing strategies where you just kind of put money in. You're not able to track very well, you know, if you're generating a return with that. It's kind of like sometimes you just put a billboard up and, and you do a bunch of billboard ads or whatever it might be, and you don't really know how to measure exactly, you know, is that deal coming from the billboard? Is it not? Are we actually generating a return with that marketing spend? And that's how a lot of investments happen for small business owners and entrepreneurs. And so one of the things that you're great at doing is figuring out where are the leaks in my business that actually don't make sense that I am spending on the business and I'm not generating a return. So what is one of some of the strategies, you know, some of the Colson strategies, if you will, to identify these money leaks and fix them? Yeah, absolutely. So just to, to pick up what you said, the marketing, like it's a billboard, where is it coming from? Something as basic as when you're talking to new leads or bringing clients in, if you're talking to them face-to-face -face asking, how did they hear about you? And using oh, yeah. that as a marker of where are they coming from, or if it's, you know, like an online user, having them fill out a survey or a form so that you can try to the best of your ability to measure what's working well. Um, another one that we see often is software costs getting out of control. So, oh yeah, that's, that's easy. <laughs> It's one of those things, right? Where you're like, oh, it's only $40 a month. Okay, well, then you put 10 people on it and it, you know, quickly builds up. And if you're not paying oh, yeah. attention when people are maybe leaving your organization and you're removing their access um, or no one's even using the tool anymore or you signed up for a free trial and it's moved into auto billing and you didn't even realize it. So um, doing a at least annual kind of software audit of what's being used, can you consolidate any tools is um, a really great um, way to, to plug one of those leaks because that can get away from you quickly. That's huge. And, and you think even from like a, a personal budget where, you know, there's so many different streaming apps, you signed up for Apple and you signed up for Hulu and Disney plus and all these different things. And you just signed up for one show and a year later, you're, you're paying for four or five streaming services and you're actually only using one to two of them. And, and so there's a lot of money leaking in the personal budget. And the same thing, surprisingly, is happening to us as entrepreneurs and business owners, where we need these softwares, maybe for just a temporary situation, and we forget to cancel them, or even, you know, well, you've got a team and, and you've got a bunch of users, and then actually really only need three or four users, you don't need all 10 people on the team using it. And so it's identifying, those are some simple places to identify some holes in the business, some money leakage that needs to be plugged and yep. so forth. So as, as you assess financials and for a lot of, uh, you know, business owners, uh, we help them out with uh, business financing to kind of take those growth steps uh, in our business. And there seems to be a really big gap between understanding you know, what's on the business financials and the decisions that the business owner is making with the business. So when you're looking at the business financials, let's let's say a monthly profit and loss, 
Like what, uh, what are some of the key things that, you know, a lot of business owners don't actually look at and, and, and are missing, or maybe they're misinterpreting, misunderstanding the data that they're seeing. Um, what are some of those uh, common issues that uh, are mistakes that are being made in those, in looking at those financials and making decisions? Yeah. So I think for the most part, everyone's pretty good at understanding their revenue and that's such a, a sexy number, right? And everyone's trying to hit six or seven figures. Um, but I feel like there's less emphasis on, you know, the profit and the cost to actually drive that revenue. So I think one of the biggest things to start with is understanding what your gross profit is. And so that's truly the profit you make off of selling your rev of selling your product or service to your revenue, less the cost it takes to make that revenue, which is called your cost of goods sold. And so oftentimes we see like there is no cost of goods sold or they've got the wrong um, categories as a cost of goods sold. So they're losing that ability to see for every dollar that I make of revenue coming in, how much of that do I get to keep? Before I have to pay my staff, my rent, all of that, how much is my product or service making alone? And I think that's a really um, important piece to know in your business to understand a lot of different things. Are you, oh, yeah. um, is your margin high enough? Are you char are your prices high enough? Are your costs to produce too high? Is there any efficiencies you can gain if you have uh, different product lines or different services, they may all have different profit levels. So understanding maybe, you know, service number A is bringing in a million dollars a year, but it's costing us, you know, 975000 uh -oh. So maybe it's not worth it. Maybe taking that revenue off is, can actually take our time and energy and put it in a different service that's more profitable. So understanding um, and really um, diving into those numbers is super important, especially as you scale and grow and, and try to increase your profitability. So I know on this uh, podcast, we have a lot of service-based businesses. And so as you look at a service-based business, of course, you know, really depends on a lot of factors, the profession, the industry, et cetera, et cetera. Do you have any products along with your services? But just talking kind of uh, generically about a service-based business, what do you feel like those gross profit margins uh, should be before you start, you know, uh, deducting uh, all the office overhead and, and other expenses, just kind of, you know, you have a unit of, of that's sold for whatever your service is, and there are certain costs associated with doing that job. Where do you feel is a healthy gross profit percentage you should be at before you get to tackling and deducting all the rest of the overhead and, and staff costs? Yeah. So, I'll, I'll caveat it to say it, it can depend on your industry. Some are higher than oh, lower, yeah. but I use a 50% margin there as a benchmark. And so if you're service-based, yeah. your costs are most likely going to be your team. Yeah. So if you have, if you pay contractors or employees, the time that they spend, you know, doing that service. Um, and then depending what kind of service you are, how you're, how you're getting clients, if you're doing, you know, something like Facebook ads, Google ads, that advertising is a cost of goods sold as well. Um, so For you want sure. to be really measuring all of that because that's the example of, okay, you know, how much does it cost us to acquire a customer? Are we oh. actually making money at the end of the day? If we spend a thousand dollars to get them, but they're only spending, you know, 
$200 on this project. So that's, that's where that really comes into play. Well, so I think that's super important because if you can break it down into a unit by unit basis, then you kind of understand, okay, these are the costs associated with, with fulfilling on our product with, uh, you know, making a rain, bringing somebody in the door, whatever those marketing costs are. Maybe you have an affiliate referral program, whatever the case is. And so I like that number that you put out there of 50% as kind of a gross profit margin that you want to be at before you tackle the rest of the overhead. And so theoretically, you know, if we're at 50% there, um, where do you feel like, because because these numbers are all important. It's almost like, you know, when you go to buy a house, and there's a certain debt to income ratio, and maybe it's 35 or 30%, a third of your income, uh, it, you know, before taxes is kind of where the maximum amount of your mortgage payment should be. And that's how mortgage lenders look at it. And as a business owner, there should be numbers that make sense. Like, okay, my gross profit margins is kind of a good rule of thumb should at least be somewhere around 50%. And then after we deduct overhead and some of the you know, administrative staff costs, uh, et cetera, the rest of the stuff not directly associated with that unit of sale, whether it's a product or service, where do you feel like you should be at net profit margin wise? In other words, what should all that overhead add up to if we've got 50% left? You know, what should we be left at uh, as kind of a net profit first target um, after deducting the, the rest of the expenses? Yeah. So I like to see a minimum of 20% on your net profit. And so again, this can, this can fluctuate, but that's the minimum I like to see so that you're not, um, so that puts your operating expenses at around 30% of that remaining yep. 50. That's really good. So again, everybody listening, like this is what you should be looking at on your profit and loss, right? Your profit and loss, you're going to have that top item then there's going to be all the costs directly associated with that unit of business and, and what's associated with making it work in terms of the marketing and any fulfillment costs. And then after that, your operational costs, you know, the, the administrative staff, the overhead, you know, all of the little softwares that we were talking about should be 30% and there should be at least 20%. If we can do better than that and get our net profit margin above 20%, hallelujah. But at least if that's where we're at. So if you're running a business that does a million dollars a year, you ought to have $200,000 net income profit as a business owner that's left over. And if you can do more than that, awesome. But let's say you do have that service-based business where do you identify what decisions you should be making to increase that profit margin? Yeah, so that's understanding how you're pricing your different services and what the costs associated with them are. So for example, if you have varying level of staff on your team, so you've got maybe entry level, more advanced are going to come with a higher price point. So understanding when you're putting them on, and I'm I'm just using like a... um you know, uh, we're a bookkeeping and CFO service. So in our case, as an example, understanding, okay, what is the profit margin almost by person or by role? Um, and what does that look like? Because you got to think about not just what you pay your team, but if you have employees, you're also paying, you know, their payroll taxes, their benefits, maybe their 401k. So what's that all in costs. And what does your price need to be to, to reach 50% there? So you can almost back into it based off my staff. I have to charge this to get that 50% margin. Um, and so understanding that is super important because that can all um, be priced differently, essentially. 
Um, and so then if you have, you know, we have a, a service that's based off of, um, it's not like a monthly recurring, but it is a more product-based. We set people up on QuickBooks. So understanding what the time commitment is and setting budgets of internal time as well, when you're mapping out what your revenue is going to be is also important. Yeah, no, no questions, guys. A lot of value bombs uh, that she's dropping there in terms of identity. So it's kind of like reverse engineering, right? It's starting with the end in mind, if you will, where, hey, I want to be at 20% net income profit margins with my business. So if I can kind of, you know, reverse engineer it, I should be somewhere around 50% of my gross margins. Oh, I'm up 40 or oh, I'm at 35. Great. Well, there's something in there that's got to change. Either the price has to be higher, the fulfillment cost has to be less, the marketing cost has got to be more efficient. Maybe instead of those online ads that are actually ending up more expensive cost per, per um, unit to acquire a customer, client, service, product, whatever that might be, maybe I'm better off doing an affiliate program where I know I'm paying a set percentage and I even get better uh, deals with the higher close rates. And so that's maybe an idea. And then the other one is, oh, my operation should be at 30%. Dang, they're, they're at 45. I guess I don't need that big, huge office. Maybe I better look to have a more affordable office, or maybe I'm overpaying somewhere here and there, or maybe I'm just not getting as much sales as I should because I need to change something with the sales structure, better training, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's a lot of reverse engineering. I like the, you know, your what the way you're showing that. And so another one of the, the topics of expertise that you know that you that Colston uh, or Colson uh, strategies uh, does for clients is helping them understand that just because you have money in the bank doesn't actually mean you're profitable. How can that be? How, how does that ju juxtaposition take place and and where where's the disconnect with that? Yeah, absolutely. So having some cash you know stored up in your bank account and seeing it, okay, month over month, it went up. So I must be profitable. Not necessarily true because the way that cash comes in and out of our business can vary greatly, especially depending on what you do. So if you are in a business where you are pre-billing clients for an, a service, so say like you're an event management business and they put down a $50,000 deposit, that money is going to hit your bank account, but you haven't fulfilled the service yet. You still have costs yeah. associated with that. And you may be paying the vendors to produce the event that's in two months. So it hasn't happened yet. So you're looking like I made $50,000, not at all, because your profit on that may be 10K, but you can't really understand that by just looking at your bank account. And so it may grow, but that's, that's not truly indicative of all of your revenue and your costs at one period of time. So here's a great question, uh, Lauren. Let's say you know, you're a small business owner, you're managing everything, you're an entrepreneur. How often should you be reviewing your business financials and in particular your profit loss? Yeah. So I say monthly. Um, and it depends on the size of your business. I, there's some businesses that I think can get away with quarterly, especially if they're not growing and they've got kind of the same, um, you know, performance month over month. But if you want to be proactive in your business, you want to understand how to be best prepared for growth for 
Um, for even things that you can't anticipate, like banks going out of business, you need to use <laughs> your financials, which we call um, looking in the rear view mirror to help you predict and understand what's going to happen for your future. And if you're not looking there, then you're just missing out on valuable data. Yeah, no, no question. And one of the biggest mistakes that I made early on as a business owner is I wouldn't uh, I, I had no idea, you know, if the profit and loss was put together. And so that's where we get to the setup and how important the setup can be and having all the rules built out in QuickBooks. And there seems to be a big, massive disconnect with uh, with business owners understanding the ins and outs of putting that together. And I know that's one of the things that you guys are phenomenal at. How important is it kind of having the rules set up to where you can know in an instant notice where your business stands from a profit loss and what is the best way to get that set up? Absolutely. Yeah. So we um, highly recommend QuickBooks Online because there's a lot of efficiencies and rules, like you said, to make it really easy if you're a business owner and you're going to do it yourself. So getting it set up correctly is huge. We've talked to a lot of business owners that have tried QuickBooks and then moved off of it because they can't figure it out. So we actually work with uh, business owners that want to do their own books. We help create their QuickBooks account, get everything linked, get everything set up. We set up rules, meaning if you have the same transaction coming in month over month, QuickBooks will automatically code it to the correct place for you. So it's taking away you having to look at it and code it. Um, and we teach them, okay, here's here's the places that you need to go within it. And here's what you need to do to get your financials done accurately. And here's where you can um, review them each month. And so that, you know, we always say garbage in, garbage out, right? So if you don't have things kind of set up in an efficient manner and you're not coding things to this that belong in the same account to the same account each month, it's not going to show you, you know, those trends of, oh, our meals are really increasing month over month. Is that necessary? Um, so being um, as efficient as possible, getting set up on rules and, and really knowing what you're doing in there is important. Oh, it's it's so important and so vital. And and one of the first things, if if you haven't set this up, I mean, you you need to get in touch with with somebody like Lauren as, as soon as possible and her team and have that set up so that those rules can kind of uh, automatically, you know, uh, put everything in the right category so that the taxes are ready to go. But most importantly, you know where the financials are at. So a lot of the times we get confused with, okay, do I do I need a bookkeeper? Do I need a CFO? Is there a way to kind of get something um, without hiring somebody full-time at $150,000 a year? Um, what are some of the opportunities in terms of bookkeeping and CFO? And, and there's there's a kind of a an opportunity as a virtual CFO where, where someone like you can come in and make life a lot easier. How does that look? And, and what's the decision process like as you look at bookkeeping and a CFO? Yeah. So our bookkeepers are focused on what's happened in the past and the more day-to-day -day administrative functions like paying bills, sending invoices, processing payroll. So that's kind of the, the marker of that role where the CFO is focused on the go-forward strategy. So they're thinking future. The bookkeeping is essential because they're looking at what happened to help predict the future and learn from mistakes and failures, that's huge. Um, so the CFO oh, yeah. is helping you, um, you know, plan your cash flow projections, 
uh, do a pricing analysis, help you look at your margins. They can do kind of industry research on how should we be performing against the market, um, things like that, uh, budgets. Uh, financial presentations, if you're going to raise money or start conversations with a, a lender to get a line of credit or a loan or things like that. Um, and so a lot of people will say, well, I'm, you know, I'm a small business. I don't need a CFO. That feels like a really big role. But really, um, it's really just a financial strategist. So it's someone that you can partner with to really like, you know, dive under the hood of your business and talk through like what's working well, what what could be better? How do we, you know, maybe position things different in the market? I mean, everything everything you do in your business has some sort of direct or indirect financial impact. So really looking and measuring those um, and being helping someone also help you be accountable to achieving your goals oh, yeah. and your marks. Well, that that is so valuable having somebody who's accountable someone who can make good decisions. I mean, we've, we've seen this firsthand, right? And in, uh, in 2022, uh, it appears that uh, Silicon Valley Bank had kind of a CFO type chief risk uh, uh, officer and, and that person left. And well, after that, they made some really bad choices in terms of investing in long-term uh, treasury bonds that lost value. And that, you know, one thing led to another. We've all been reading the news with Silicon Valley Bank going, this is how important this is. And how quickly things can go, you know, south for you as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, if you don't have the right checks in place and the right uh, CFO team just to help you strategize and make good decisions. And a lot, a lot of the big questions sometimes we'll get uh, from clients is, you know, how do I know if it actually makes sense to take out financing to tackle something, a growth opportunity, or maybe it's just uh, just trying to stay in business and get through a slow period. What are some of the factors that a business owner should look at when they're determining, you know, should I get a loan? Should I not? Like, does it, when does it make sense, uh, et cetera? What, what, do you guys, what do you guys see with that? Yeah, that's a great question, too. And I also want to call out that some business owners think it's almost like a failure if they have to go get a loan or something mm -hmm. like a line of credit. Yeah. Um, and it's not at all. If, if done correctly, um, it's a really valuable resource for you. Um, so like on the on the loan or line of credit piece, I mean, depending on your business, you may have extreme seasonality in which you make a lot of money in the first half of the year and not as much in, in the back half. And so for something like that, if you have financial projections and can you know pinpoint, okay, starting June, we're gonna trend down in cash and we're not gonna let our team go in a slower month. We're gonna kind of pivot towards other things, but we still have to pay them. Well, maybe that's when we can you know draw on a line of credit just to help us because when the business picks back up again, we'll have plenty of money. So um, it can kind of be like a life preserver in terms of you know downwards um, periods of cash. Um, but also what you said too, like growth is a big piece of it as well. So oh, yeah. you know, I never tell someone to go you know get money without um, you know having some sort of game plan, right? It's not just oh, I don't have any. Okay, I need some more. It's like, well, what? Especially on the growth front, what are we going to do with it, and what is the ROI, right? So if we're using a big Amen. thing, we got to hire someone. Okay, but do we have a clearly mapped out, you know, job description, what this person's going to do? Do we have goals and markers that we can evaluate their performance? And how is that going to help generate revenue or growth within the organization? 
It's, it's so important what you, what you just uh, shared there. And, and uh, even uh, we kind of took it a step further and called it ROL. Well, hey, we, we've got a return on investment. But what about the return on the loan, right? If I'm going to take a loan out and, and the cost is X amount, but what can I generate with that loan? And if I have a proof of concept and I know where I'm going to put that money in that next marketing campaign, sales uh, manager, salesperson, um, whatever it is, the investment, it's got to generate a much more significant return than the cost of that capital. If it doesn't make sense, if it doesn't, it doesn't. And so that's really good, good, uh, good points and value bombs that you're dropping there. So I think a lot of the audience at this point, you know, Lauren are saying, wow, I'm understanding how vital this is. And I need to get things set up properly so that because sometimes you're like, boy, it seems like I'm winning. But I, I think this is more often the case. I think it's less often the case. Oh, there's a ton of money in the bank account. I mean, sure, <laughs> that happens if if something happens and we've got future expenses and, and we misunderstand that. But more often than not, it's, oh, there's not enough money in the bank account. And I swear we're making money. We're being profitable. We're growing this business. But yet there's nothing, very little left at the end of the month for me as the business owner. And I feel like I can never even take a distribution or profit. And I feel like that's one of the biggest uh, issues that a lot of business owners face. And so what is the action they can take today in terms of maybe utilizing some of your tools, strategies, working with your team so they can start ending the month with a positive you know, expansion of the bank balance and know for sure, oh, I am profitable. I don't have these accounts payables hanging over my head for next month, I actually can take some sort of profit distribution. What's the next step they can take today to make that a reality? Yeah, and that's where we really lean into financial projections. So we we take the historical financials and we break them apart and see, okay, what is your, what we talked about earlier, where's your margin? What are all of your operating expenses going to? Do we really need all of this? And if we're at a point where like, okay, no, this we're we're at we're lean. This is what it is. We're just not making enough profit. Well, then we go into the projections and say, okay, well, how do we get there? Right? What are your goals? Is your goal to pay yourself ten thousand dollars a month? Okay, then let's pay yourself ten thousand a month and back into what that essential revenue goal needs to be in order to pay you ten thousand at the end of the month. So, what drives like your that. revenue? You know, do we need? to sign three more client, three new clients each month to hit those targets. Like what does that take? And putting a tangible number to it so that you can go to action and get there and say, okay, all right, I need to really focus on sales. That needs to be my number one priority. Or I need to really focus on recruiting a team to take on this work so that they can bring in more sales. Like what are the key drivers to get there? And then knowing what that number is, not just, I need to pay myself more. How much more? We need to put a number on it so that yes. we, you know, put that into tangible goals. I like that. I like that. If you just say, oh, I want to make more money, but there's a clear, you know, target number that we're trying to hit that we're very unlikely to hit. It's just like, oh, I, I need to market better. Well, if you're marketing to everybody, you're marketing to nobody. And so the details matter. And the audience would love to find out where can they connect up with you, Lauren, and your team and look at utilizing some of these tools, strategies and probably getting QuickBooks set up the right way so they can have a, you know, get their business and, and their money right and, and hit those goals and targets they want to hit. Yeah. So you can find us at colsonstrategies.com. That's C-O-L-S-O-N. There's a way to uh, reach out to us on the site and it kind of details everything that we do. Um, I love LinkedIn. So you can find me and DM me on LinkedIn, Lauren Colson, um, or you can reach out directly by email to info at colsonstrategies.com. 
Outstanding, guys. That's ColsonStrategies.com. This is not a passive podcast. This is a podcast for active business owners who want to create an epic life, you know, by running the business the right way, getting their money right. So go to ColsonStrategies.com so Lauren and her team can give you the tools to get your money right, to have a profit first mentality, to know exactly where you stand, you know, money wise in your business and have the right setup to where things are going in automatically, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, you can connect with Lauren Colson on LinkedIn, which is the most powerful mm-hmm. social media app, according to Gary Vaynerchuk, for B2B and small business owners. So make sure you check that out. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast and driving so much value to the audience today. Thanks for having me, Leo. It was fun. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.